Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about sharing the hope of the gospel until Christ is formed in you. Good morning. Wes, that was beautiful. Thank you. Was it not fun to have our kids in here? Have any of you guys ever seen that before? That's kind of old school church. I don't know, but I love that. There's something about just getting our kids in here and um, just praising Jesus and getting out of our comfort zone. If that made some of you uncomfortable, welcome to the journey. Um, We are in Acts 7. Uh, If you want to open your Bible or if you're scrolling on your phone, I'm reading out of the NIV this morning. Uh, But we are in Acts 7. Um, I'm not going to pause that this morning for Palm Sunday. We'll pause it next week for Easter Sunday. um, And then we will resume some of our reading um, after Easter Sunday. So um, I am going to start in Acts 7, verse 51. And I am going to read through 8, verse 3. Okay? And I'm going to do something a little bit different. If you're not used to joining us... um, I'm going to, I usually would read through the scripture and I'd comment as we go along, but I'm going to hold my comments this time, and I'm going to ask that you would actually stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. So stand up, and we're going to read it together, and I'm going to hold my comments. We are in a school auditorium. Squeak, squeak. Luke 7, starting in verse 51. This is Stephen speaking. Stephen is the first martyr. He's about to be killed. Here we go, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors, ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. Verse 54, when the members of the great Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God and the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, and this is the one we're going to focus on today. Then he fell on his knees and he cried, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing of him. And on that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would enliven our hearts and our minds with your holy word today. Would you speak to us? Would you transform us? Would you form us deeply? And would you allow us to abide in your person and your presence, not just on this Sunday, but as we go from here? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's so much in this passage, um, I struggled to narrow it down, but we're going to focus on uh, where Stephen said, um, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So uh, exactly two years, well, uh, probably not exactly, approximately, let me say it that way, two years previously, 
at this almost similar spot right outside the old city walls in Jerusalem, there was another person who was killed, and his name was Jesus. Same great Sanhedrin, same group of people throwing rocks. They would have drug him out to an old stone quarry, which is right outside the old city walls, at the, probably at the foot or at the base of this little hill called Calvary or Golgotha that you can still see today. And they would have stoned him. And interesting, what the Lord Jesus said, if we flip over, you don't have to flip here, but I'm going to. It's Luke 23, verse 34. So while Jesus is hanging on the cross at this very same place, it says in Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Okay. How is it that someone can be so full of the grace of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, the kingdom of God, the eternal perspective of God, that while their head is literally being crushed with stones, they can say, Lord, would you forgive them or would you not hold this sin against them? I don't know today where you are, but if you're like me, um, the most silly and petty things get under my skin. Maybe you're perfect and have arrived. I have not. And it's very humbling to read this as, Jesus, as, as Stephen, like Jesus, would have been bloodied and beaten and he is breathing his last and he looks up and he said, Lord God, on his knees, he's going, Lord, would you forgive them? Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And then he dies. So what I want to open today is what is this thing called forgiveness? How do we understand it? How can we actually apply it to our own lives? And frankly, that's what this entire Holy Week is about. It's the forgiveness of God. It's the grace of God. And so I want to um, sort of invite us into that. A guy named uh, Tertullian, who was a church father, he actually wrote, and he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Stephen was the first martyr, very first. After King Jesus, Stephen was the very first. And what's amazing is the church at this point is probably 15,000 strong or better, and then God sovereignly sees fit to allow Stephen to be killed. Do I think he caused it? No. Do I think he even orchestrated it? No. Do I think he allowed it? Absolutely. And I think he allows Stephen to be killed, and what we are beginning to see in the rest of Acts is there is this explosive supernatural scattering that carries the church to the entire known world. Now, just knowing human nature like I do, had that not happened, what would probably those 15,000 people have done? Stayed together, rolled together, ride or die, here we are. They would have like sat, and yet because that God allowed this in this little infant church, some two years old, all of a sudden the entire known world, all the way to Europe, is going to be reached for the gospel, and then waves of the gospel of the good news are going to go out from there, even now till this day. Okay, so it's forgiveness then, if, if, if the blood of the martyrs, the blood of Stephen becomes the seed, think of a farmer scattering seed. So Stephen's blood becomes like seed, um, it becomes the seed of a growing church. And I think I would have to say, and this guy Paul, or Saul, that he's going to be known as Paul, it is actually the seed of Stephen's death that's going to take hold in his heart. This guy that it said um, in, I guess, 8-1, um, and Saul approved of their killing him, and they're laying their coats at the, seat of, or at the feet or in the hands of this guy Saul. Um, it, it is, it is the, the, the death of Stephen that becomes the seed in Saul's heart that is ultimately going to lead him to become probably the most powerful theologian, missionary, apostle, and preacher I would say that the world has ever seen. It's amazing, but it's really hard to see uh, through the lens of eternity, through the lens of the kingdom, and even through the lens of forgiveness. And so I would actually say that um, when people watch Stephen die here, they are seeing the life of Christ lived out in him and through him. They're seeing his grace. They're seeing his forgiveness. They are hearing his grace and forgiveness, which is humanly impossible. 
And then it's being expressed. This forgiveness, this humility, this grace, this loving kindness is being expressed in the midst of abuse and evil and absolute hatred. And it, to me, it becomes the absolute crux of this passage. So let's open up this door. If Stephen's forgiveness in the face of death and his expressing his forgiveness and love for the people who are actually throwing the stones and killing him is what becomes the seed of the church, then forgiveness must be relatively important, Yeah? If it's the last thing, it's not quite the last thing. It's probably the second or third from the last thing that Jesus said as he hung upon the cross. If you put the four gospel accounts next to each other, it's almost the last thing um, that Stephen says. So this, this idea then, okay, so what is forgiveness um, and, and how do we even walk in it? So a couple books that are out right now that I'm just going to quickly reference. I think all three of them are really good. Um, Tim Keller's got one out called Forgiveness, I'd recommend. Um, Lisa Turkhurst has one out called Forgiving What You Can't Forget. Also very good. Um, there's an old school guy that I really like called um, Total Forgiveness. That's R.T. Kendall. And I'm actually going to use some of his thoughts um, in, in my message today. But all three of those I think are very powerful um, sort of a, a look at what is forgiveness. But let's open this thing up. Um, Paul in Galatians 4.19. So the guy that, that is standing here watching Stephen die. Okay, in Galatians 4.19, he writes, My little children, for whom I am again in the pains of labor. My little children, for whom I am again in the pains of labor, until Christ is completely and permanently formed within you. Okay, so if when we give our life to Jesus, if the goal isn't just to get us into heaven, but rather to get heaven into us, we discussed some of that last week, if the goal is that Christ would be formed deeply within us, and that's clearly what Paul is praying for, let's just talk for a second about how we see um, Christ being formed in Stephen, okay? And then I want to flip sort of the analogy, and I want to take a look at it and, and even say what forgiveness is not, all right? And then I'm going to flip again, and we are going to define forgiveness. Okay, if this is not what it is, then what is it? And then we're going to flip again, and we're going to look at how do we know if we've really and truly forgiven. That's going to be a hard one for some of us. And then we're going to take a look at what happens if we willfully refuse to forgive. No. And we'll tie it up right there. So how do we see Christ formed within Stephen? I think, number one, we see that he genuinely wants God's will and not his will. I mean, he deeply and genuinely, can you imagine being willing? And he knew at some point in here, in fact, I can't imagine when he looked at him in verse 30, uh, 51 and said, you stiff-necked people, he probably knew what's going to happen. I'm going to die. And I don't know how many of us, if we knew, in fact, I've had a lot of conversations with people where they go, well, I wonder if I was in that position, would I give it all? Would I pay it all? Would I lay it all down? And here's always my next question, is tell me about some of the small areas in your life right now that you refuse to lay it all down. So would you lay it all down for Jesus? Are you in the small areas? Selah. Second thing I see here is Stephen is willing to risk his life and his future to share the hope of Jesus with his Jewish brothers and sisters. I mean, he is preaching truth. Um, their eternal destination is more important than the preservation of his own life. And then he quotes the very words of his Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He may have even seen Christ killed on the cross. We don't know. We have no way of knowing. But he quotes Jesus at the very end. Okay, so let's open this up and let's tie Stephen back into this, what we just read. We'll reference it along the journey here. But let's define this morning what forgiveness is not. Okay, forgiveness is not approving of what they did. I'm just going to say they, okay? You just put it in your own context this morning. Forgiveness is not approving of what they did. Did Stephen approve of what they did? No. Okay, uh, forgiveness is not a warm feeling toward what they did. Is Stephen feeling warmly about them? As his head is literally being crushed. No. Forgiveness is not excusing what he did. Is he even, even when he says in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. We'll unpack that another week. But you are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Is he excusing what they did? No. Is he justifying what they did? Well, they must have had a bad day. 
They must have been whatever. I mean, even if something legitimate. Maybe they were abused as a child. He's not justifying it at all. Forgiveness is not pardoning what they did. This is important. Forgiveness is not reconciling with them. It's very important. A lot of us think if we forgive someone, that means we have to go reconcile and like roll with them and have them over to have a picnic. That's not forgiveness. We'll continue to unpack that. Forgiveness is not denying what they did or refusing to take the wrong that they did seriously. Did Stephen take this seriously? I mean, so much so that he's saying, Lord, forgive them for what they did. Forgiveness is not blindness to what happened. And I think the last two are forgiveness is not forgetting what they did. It's actually written where? In the Bible. And forgiveness is not pretending that we are not hurt. And I would actually propose to you that as Stephen dies and lays down his life as the first martyr and he becomes, his blood becomes the seed of the New Testament church, that he has to loosely and quickly work through all of those things and lay down his will, aligning himself with the fullness of a holy God and then inviting the New Testament church into the fullness of that with him. So let me make a statement or two here. I believe that most Christians, this isn't meant to be offensive, although it it may be, but I believe that most Christians attempt to work up forgiveness in our own strength by denying the pain caused because we don't believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus to truly empower us to forgive. So I think many of us as Christians labor under this thing where I'm going to deny how bad it was because if I face how bad it was, if I fully like drink the cup of the pain, if I really face it, if I go talk to a counselor or a trusted friend, if I let this like cork off of how even evil, let's use that word, what has happened to me is, then I won't be able to deal with it. And so I'm just going to choose to live in denial and not face all of those things. And I'm just going to hope that by doing that, that means that I've forgiven. Let me say just very like clearly and directly, I don't believe that you can fully come to the cross of Christ and truly and deeply and genuinely forgive like we see Stephen doing unless you fully acknowledge what was done. That's the gospel. But here's the amazing thing, is no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how dark of a place you've existed in, no matter what you've said or thought or participated in or watched, there is forgiveness at the cross of Christ if you are willing to call it and lay it and and acknowledge fully what has been done and transpired. There is full forgiveness and grace and redemption because the one who is about to become the most powerful force in the New Testament church is the one that killed Stephen. Paul is standing here. We're going to unpack it in the weeks ahead. But Paul is standing here, and he most likely would have known Stephen. They would have been boyhood, probably rivals, growing up in the the temple, growing up in the synagogue. At different points, their paths would have crossed. They would have been under different rabbis. But there probably would have been times where they would have even, um, it's it's not really argued, but it's like the rabbinic uh, question asking and and position stating. But, But they would have even probably had mutual respect for one another. And then suddenly Stephen gives his heart to King Jesus and his life is transformed and everything's changing. And then Paul, Paul really Saul at this point, sees him and hates him. And I would say that this all is indicator that Saul is probably behind the scenes stirring things up going, we've got to rid the New Testament, we've got to rid Jerusalem of this guy Stephen because he's going to be a detriment to our tradition. So in Stephen, uh, in him laying his life down, Paul is the one who ends up giving his life to Christ Jesus, and we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. Okay, so that's what forgiveness is not. I kind of plowed through that. I hope you're okay. It was a lot. All right, let's talk about what forgiveness is then. If we've said what it's not, okay, what is it? And, and let me just open something here. 
this is for the one who's been um, hurt by a spouse. This is one who's been abandoned by a parent. This is one who's been abused by an aunt, an uncle, or a parent, or a father, or a mother. This is one who's been hurt at the hands of people out there, or peers. This is one who's been treated unjustly because of their ethnic background, or what they look like, or where they're from. This is applicable uh, to all of us everywhere. And if I know anything, all of us have something in our hearts and lives that, are, that we actively have to forgive. It's actually interesting because um, the Barna Group, it's a research group that I'll look at every once in a while, but the Barna Group actually says one in four Christians struggle to forgive someone. I think they're wrong, personally. In fact, I think if we, re, if we flipped the question, and they went back and asked all the same people, if we reframed the question to, have you ever struggled to forgive someone, what do you think our number would be? I think four out of four. And I would actually even contend that potentially two out of four or three out of four Christians, um, and, and this is a bold statement, but we miss the fullness of what God has and intends for our lives because we don't ever deal with fully forgiving other people, dealing with our disappointment and hurt towards God, and then forgiving ourselves. I, I realize that's loaded, so let me just say it again. I believe that many of us Christians... If you're not a believer here today and you're just on the outskirts looking in, welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm gonna, this is a statement really for believers in the room. But I believe that many of us as Christians um, are unable to access our God-given purpose and destiny because we haven't fully been able to forgive someone or ones, deal with our bitterness um, and disappointment with God, and then forgive ourselves. Make sense? Okay. It's, it's really funny, too, because before I open up what forgiveness is, I think that I, I, I was trying to, a lot of us would feel like in an unflustered situation that, oh, I'm fine, I've forgiven everybody. But I'd almost be willing to bet if I got into your life and meddled around and talked around and figured out for about an hour, I could probably find somebody and I could have them walk through the room and I would watch you. Just saying, there's still people there are still people that roll through my life, and I've thought, sure, I've forgiven, and I have, but um, I like to cook, and you know when you cut an onion? You know all those slices? And, and occasionally I'll take an onion, and you can cut it, and you can peel a layer off, and cut it, and peel a layer, and cut it, and peel a layer, and cut it. I think sometimes forgiveness and abiding in the finished work of the cross of Jesus is a little bit like that. Have I forgiven? Yeah. I have to continue to forgive? Yes. Might something happen or come up that reveals a new layer of unforgiveness in my heart and I have to forgive again? Yes, that's the journey. Okay, so what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is being mentally, emotionally, and spiritually aware of what someone does, has done and still choosing to forgive them. Um, let me also say, I don't think in and of ourselves, you and I have the power to forgive. I think it requires that we have to go, Lord Jesus, would you empower me to forgive? It's not a feeling, it's a choice and an act of the will. And as you do that and do it again and again, your, your thinking and your feeling and the behaviors in your life will eventually line up with it. But it takes some time. Okay, so forgiveness is being mentally and emotionally and spiritually aware, just like Stephen, of what someone has done and still choosing to forgive them. Second thing, forgiveness is choosing to keep no record of their wrong. Some of us, and I'm not saying you don't write it down in your journal, I think you have to. But, but it's choosing to begin to let go of the memory of the sting, of the anger. It's like we somehow, sometimes I think we think if we hang on to it, we're going to be protected. I'm going to hang on to it, and it's going to be like my armor. And it ends up just hurting who? Us. Forgiveness, I just said it, but as a choice. It's an act of the human will. Do I think that in this moment when Stephen fell to his knees, it is because he feels emotionally like forgiving? I don't. In, in fact, I can't prove it, but I think it's very interesting that he didn't fall on his face or on his back or on his stomach, but he fell where? Lord Jesus, help me to forgive. And then, Father, would you 
forgive them and not hold this sin against them. This is important. Forgiveness is refusing to punish someone. Either actively with hostility, aggression, unkindness, or through passivity by ignoring them or not acknowledging them. We can, we can punish people in many different ways, can't we? Forgiveness is not telling what they did. A lot of times we as Christians get hurt, and what do we do? Tell over here, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to go over here. What are we doing? We're actually spreading our what? Unforgiveness. If you find, and I, let, me, let me like say something, and I, there's, there's a several scriptural passages I could take you to. I'm just going to make, this is my view of God's commands on the Sermon on the Mount and through the entirety of the, of the Bible. I think if you have been legitimately hurt, you need to go tell one or two people. I, I do. I believe you have to. I, you have to go sit with a counselor. You have to go sit with a friend. You have to go talk to somebody. Can you just deal with it purely in and of yourself? Sometimes not. Sometimes not. Sometimes you have to go sit with a friend like Kyle and say, Kyle, I'm dealing with this. My heart's here. I need to just confess it to someone. I'm not saying it's right, but I have this like unforgiveness or hatred or bitterness or disappointment or whatever welling up within me. Would you pray with me? And Kyle's my buddy, and he's going to say, Yeah. But if I walk out and I continue to, and might I be tempted to? Yeah. And what do I have to do? Take the thought captive. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you help me again? Forgive. This is not like an easy thing. I realize, I'm like, some of you are like, Pastor Michael, you are meddling in my life. I know. I know. It's only because the Holy Spirit is meddled in mine. And let me even say to you, much of this comes out of my own like journey and my own sort of arse, our journey of suffering, some of the stuff that Abby and I have walked through. Forgiveness, let me go back. Forgiveness is not telling what they did. Do you think Stephen rolled into heaven? He dies and he rolls into heaven. We, heaven is the place of God, the presence of God, so he rolls in. Jesus is already standing up waiting to greet him. Throughout the scripture, Jesus is seated, and Jesus is now stood up in order to acknowledge what Stephen has done. It's incredible. We'll talk about that another Sunday. But when Stephen walks in, do you think he walks in and blabs about what those evil guys did? It's true forgiveness. True forgiveness is being merciful and being gracious. Mercy is shown as an attitude of your heart. Graciousness is often shown by what we don't say. Now, if I'm going down life and I'm rolling and rolling and something comes up and I realize I got more unforgiveness, might I have to go back to Kyle? Kyle, I need some more help. I just did this recently, actually. I've got, we have several counselors that have helped Abby and I through a number of different things, and I just went and sat with one of them and said, I just need you to check me on this. I'm, I don't know. I need, to, I need to talk through it and make sure I don't have unforgiveness. I talked through it. And he said, yeah, I probably do. And what do we do? Lord Jesus. That's what we did. And what did the Spirit of Jesus do? Forgave me. And this weight is like, oh. Forgiveness is an inner condition, and I would say forgiveness is the absence of bitterness. There's a verse in Hebrews that says, don't let... Um, or it says a bitter root. It talks about a bitter root that goes down and then defiles many people. Have you ever been around somebody who's bitter? Or maybe you've been bitter. I've been bitter before. It, it, it goes from like just negative feelings to like this deep thing leveled in your heart where there's this deep judgment against a person or persons and you're like stuck in it and all of a sudden everywhere you go you're kind of sloshing your bitterness. It's ugly. All right, let me flip here, and let's just say there's, there's three components of, of true forgiveness. I realize this is a lot. If you looked at my outline, you'd go, oh, my goodness. 
But a couple components of, of true forgiveness that I think we have to acknowledge. There is a legitimate letting go of bitterness and resentment towards God. You've got to hear this. I, if, if I said, I, I would probably struggle to say you need to forgive God because God is perfect. But there are things in our lives that happen that are outside our human comprehension, and they feel like they shouldn't happen. And you may have bitterness and even hostility or hatred or anger at God, distrust of God, and at some point you have to reconcile that even without feeling like it or thinking like it or even understanding it. Lord, I don't understand, but I choose and ask that you would forgive me for my resentment, my bitterness, my anger, my hatred, whatever it is, and you have to lay it down so that he can take it. You hear me? There's also this element of forgiving ourselves. I really struggle with this. When I do something that really hurts somebody, especially somebody I love, I want to like go over and like beat on myself a little bit. Oh, I can't believe I did it again. Do you do that? Come on. Hear me this morning, church. If Stephen did not work through forgiving them actively and then surrendering his life to the Lord Jesus and then proclaim this, he would have missed becoming what he was called to be. He became the seed that launched the church. He's got a high place in heaven, I guarantee you. He is like ruling and reigning in eternity. He is close to the Lord Jesus, I assure you. If in that moment he chose to get bitter and angry and resentment and whatever, if you fill in the blank, could he have? Yeah. Would it have been humanly justifiable? Yeah. I think I'd say to us this morning, I believe many Christians never surpass their bitterness and disappointment with God and secondarily with themselves. Now, let me open something that is scary to open, but I think I need to just open it right here. Why? Let's ask two questions. Why did God allow something like the Holocaust to happen? Was the kingdom of God present there? Theologically? Yes. I can't answer that question this morning. And there's probably things in your life I asked, I asked myself this question this week as I'm preparing this. Lord, were you present this past week when somebody broke into a Christian school and shot a few people? Was your kingdom there? Help me understand, because I don't fully get it. But at some point, we have to choose to trust him, let go of our bitterness and resentment, and begin to ask him that he would help us understand. Did Stephen understand in this moment what was happening? I don't think so. Did Stephen have any idea that the greatest apostle that the world would ever see, the Apostle Paul, was standing nearby, orchestrating and condoning his death, and it was the weight of his death, Stephen's death, that would be the thing that would ultimately break the Apostle Paul and bring him to his knees and make him the greatest apostle, preacher, writer, pastor, whatever, that this world has ever seen? Did he have any idea? No. He had none. And he chose to bow his knee before this God and trust that whatever was happening, it was bigger than and it would make sense in the context of eternity. There's a verse in the end of Genesis. I'm not going to go there, but it's Genesis 50, verse 20. And it's, there's been a few times in my life where it's like I, I haven't known what to do with something. I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to feel my way through it or walk through it. I don't know how to park it theologically. And I've often landed here. This is um, Joseph at the very end of Genesis speaking. It's Genesis 50, verse 20. Not Joseph, the father of Jesus, like Old Testament Joseph, okay? Um, so, so Joseph, and here's what he said. What you intended for evil, you got to get this, it's so good. What you intended for evil, God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Did the great Sanhedrin that gnashed their teeth and were furious and they grabbed Stephen and they drug him out through the city walls and then they picked up huge stones, 
Stones like this. Pick up huge stones and began to hurl them at him. Did they intend it for evil? Yes. Did God intend it for good? Yes. And then the church is scattered across the entire known world all the way into Europe. And the seeds of the church are suddenly sown and people begin to come to Christ, not just in Jerusalem, but the 15,000, give or take, believers that are in Jerusalem are suddenly scattered all over because they're scared for their lives. They're scared to death. They're going to kill us too. So they go home and they pack up their kids and they pack up their spouse and they get on their donkeys and they load their carts and they begin to go and they're going to a different place because we don't want to be killed. We don't want to be stoned. We don't want to be like what happened to Jesus or what happened to Stephen. And God used it because along the way they're sharing who? Jesus. And then they get to their new town and they settle down and they build a little house and they start a little trade. And all the time they're sharing Jesus. And all of a sudden a new church begins in a new town and then in a new city. And all of a sudden the church is springing up and it's this unstoppable, unbelievable kingdom expansion that is absolutely supernatural. And it wouldn't have happened unless Stephen chose to bow his knee before God Almighty and not only say, Father, forgive them, but first bow his knee before the King of heaven and earth and say, Lord, would you take my life and death and use it for your glory, your will, and your way? And I choose to trust you even when it doesn't feel good, it doesn't look good and I don't like it and I hate these people and I can't believe what they're doing to me but I choose to trust you for the kingdom and for eternity and for your will and way and not only that but Lord would you forgive these evil self-righteous arrogant people and would you not hold this sin against them <sighs> and he dies can you imagine the heart of this young man he would have been younger than me and he chose to walk with God like that now, let's flip this and get practical here. How do we know if we have really, truly forgiven? Number one, you stop telling anyone what they said or they did. And anytime you start telling, you recognize what? Got to forgive again. Second thing I'd say is you do not want or allow the people who did whatever they did against you to be afraid of you or intimidated by you. It's huge. Oftentimes when we're hurt, we want, we want them to suffer. We want them to be afraid of us. We want, it's part of that passive aggressive thing, but truly if in your deep heart of hearts, you no longer want them to be afraid of you. You don't want them to be intimidated by you. You're actively expressing grace and mercy towards them. How do we know if we've really truly forgiven? Number three, we genuinely want them to forgive themselves. And we release secretly wanting them to feel guilty. <sighs> Number four, as you journey through forgiveness, I think you can even come to the place where you want God to cover their shame like God covered the shame of Adam and Eve in the garden. That's that's so powerful. You want God. So you're not wanting God to expose them. You're not like, just wait until God gets you. No, no, no. All of a sudden, you get to the spot where you're going, Father, I want you to cover their shame. I mean, that's what Stephen said here. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. They don't know what they're doing. I think the fifth thing is we as a people, how do you know if you've truly forgiven? You get to the spot where you'll protect them from being exposed, you'll protect them from being accused, and you'll protect them from being uncovered. Your lips are now sealed. It's God's to deal with. And you fully leave what's been done to you in the hands of God. It's his business now. Is it your business anymore? No. Is it my business anymore? No. It is fully his, and you leave it. It's what Stephen did right here. And did God deal with the men that killed Stephen? I assure you, he did. And some of them probably gave their lives to Jesus, like Saul, who became Paul, and some of them may not have. Matthew 5, Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching. He's on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Ah, it's so hard. Okay, so let me flip this, and, and I want to make three super challenging um, statements, okay? Not that I would ever do anything else. 
I love Jesus. I love freedom in Christ. Jesus paid a lot for your freedom and mine, and the ability that we have to live in the freedom is huge, but it requires a lot of heart surrender. Okay, what happens when we refuse to forgive? Uh, Old school church would often define sin as like smoking or drinking or partying or sleeping around. All those may or may not be manifestations of sin in the heart. Sin in the heart is saying, God, no. It's my, if you were here last week, it's my two-year-old. No. And mine. My will, my way, no. So sin is an attitude of the heart. No, God, you stay over there. This is my kingdom. My will, my way, you stay over there. No. And there's hundreds of activities that we can do, some look good and some look evil, that are manifestation of our deep heart. No. You follow me? Okay. So what happens when we refuse to forgive? Lord, I love you, but I'm hanging on to my unforgiveness. Do Christians do that? Yes. Has Michael done that? Yes. Have you done that? Perhaps. Okay. Three statements. The justification or the forgiveness before God that you and I have, if you're in Jesus today and if Jesus is in you, then the justification or the forgiveness before God that you have is unconditional. If you hang on to your unforgiveness, do you lose it? No. Everybody say no. You do not lose it. But the anointing and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is conditional. This is huge. Are you going to lose your salvation if you hang on to your sin? No, I'm not forgiving. No. But the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God is not unconditional. It is conditional. And he convicts you. You have to go, Lord, forgive me. It's strong. It's strong. Second thing, your security and my security. If Jesus is in you, if you're in Jesus today, and if you're not in Jesus today, after the service, we'd love to pray with you, and I can lead you there. It's a very simple, supernatural transaction. But if you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you, your security in the family of the Lord Jesus is unconditional. Your eternal security is unconditional. Your intimacy, however, your abiding in his presence, your ability to hear his voice and follow him moment by moment, day by day, is conditional. See the difference? We get stuck on this. The American church gets hugely stuck on this. I am not saying you're going to lose your salvation if you hang on to unforgiveness. I am saying you may not be able to hear the voice of the Lord, sense the presence of the Lord, abide in the person of God, because he goes, he, will, he so loves you that he will honor your will. And if you go, no, what's the Holy Spirit of God going to do? Have it your way. Let me know when you want to talk. I'll be right here. And he'll wait. You'll wait for one week, one month, one year, 10 years. I was gone, stuck in sin for seven years of my life. That's a lot of years for a 42-year-old guy. And he waited, he pursued, he loved, he reached out, and finally he broke through my thick-headedness. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let me just say those first two again, because these are so big. Your justification, your forgiveness before God is unconditional. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is conditional. Your security in the family of God, your eternal security in heaven is unconditional. You won't lose it. But your intimacy, abiding in his presence, your ability to hear and follow his voice is conditional. Third thing I'd say, your eternal destiny is secure if you're in Jesus. It's unconditional. But receiving additional reward at the judgment seat of Christ is conditional. You following me? Pastor Michael, you're not making Palm Sunday fun. I know. Worship team, would you come out? We're going to close right here. I'm going to give you a quote, and I'm going to tell you a a short story, and I'm going to invite you to go, Holy Spirit, would you show and convict me if there's any unforgiveness in my heart? R.T. Kendall in his book said, the ultimate proof of total forgiveness takes place when we sincerely petition the Father to let those who have hurt us off the hook even if they have hurt not only us, but those closest to us. I'm going to say it again. The ultimate proof of total forgiveness takes place when we sincerely petition the Father to let those who have hurt us off the hook, even if they have not 
only hurt us, but those closest to us. There's a story I love of a lady who's no longer alive, and her name is Corey Tenboom. And Corey lived in the Netherlands, and during the Holocaust, uh, she was not um, Jewish, but during the Holocaust, they built a secret room in her house, and she hid and smuggled Jews out of the country so that their lives could be preserved. And someone uh, ratted her out, and she and her sister Betsy were arrested, and they went to Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany. And Betsy, after a number of years, they were abused horribly in many different ways. But Betsy, after a number of years, um, died. A couple weeks later, um, Corey was supernaturally uh, released through like a clerical error or something. I don't even fully understand it. And then five days after Corey was released, their entire age group, all the women in that age group, were taken in and exterminated. Follow me here just a second. So Corey... After the war, Corey Ten Boom's her name. She's got a book called The Hiding Place if you want to read it. After the war, Corey goes back to Germany to carry the message of hope and, come on, say it with me, forgiveness. And Corey has this testimony. You can actually listen to it. But she's standing there and she's teaching this church like this in, in Munich. And she's saying that. God's forgiveness is like a deep ocean that your sin gets thrown into, right? And she stands at the front afterwards and she dismisses everyone and there's shame and guilt on the German people and this one German man comes down and stands right in front of her. And he was one of the guards that abused her and her sister Betsy. The guard doesn't remember her, but she remembers him. And she has this moment, like this crisis of faith where she's like, can I forgive. Can I forgive? It's got to be like Stephen sitting in this moment. Rocks coming down on him. Can I forgive? And if you read Corey's description, what she basically says is she called on the Lord Jesus and went, I don't know how to forgive, but I need help forgiving. And this guard is standing right in front of her and he says, Fraulein, I was at Ravensbrock and I hurt people and did evil things but I found Jesus and I want to hear from your mouth that I'm forgiven. And she just writes of this like moment where it's all like time stops. And she calls on the name of the Lord Jesus and then she reaches out her hand, doesn't even tell him, doesn't even tell him what he did to her or to Betsy, her sister. And she reaches out her hand. She says, I forgive you. Father, I pray that you would raise up your church to be a group of people that is able to not only not deny the pain of what's been done to us, but to forgive fully and completely. I realize we're a minute or two late today, but I really want to close in a song. So let's stand together. Let's close in a worship song. Prayer team, if you'll come down and just be here available. Tony and Christine, would you come down and let's pray for Lucy. Just invite her down. Prayer team, if you'll come down here. We're going to close in a song and I'm going to dismiss us to our little picnic across the road. Miracles happen when you move. Healing is coming in this room. Miracles happen when you move. Heaven is coming. Miracles happen in this room. Healing is coming in this room. Miracles happen when you Heaven is coming. Sing it again. Miracles happen when you move. Healing is coming in this room. Miracles happen when you move. Heaven is coming. Miracles. 
Miracles happen when you move. Healing is coming in this room. Miracles happen when you move. Heaven is coming. We need a move. We need a move. Father, on this Palm Sunday, would you lavish your grace upon us? Father, would you allow us to drink deeply of what you've set us free from, that you paid the price we couldn't pay, that you set us free from the death we couldn't die, and you've resurrected us to life in Christ. And Father, then would you allow us to be a people that has drunk deeply of your forgiveness and your redemption and your restoration, and that we would go out and be messengers of the cross of Jesus, of the hope of Jesus, of the life of Jesus. Father, I pray for this congregation at this time and those online that you would minister forgiveness to us and then let us be a people that forgive others. Father, I pray as we go and celebrate a picnic across the road that you would be with us and that we would break bread together celebrating the resurrection power of Jesus. In the mighty name we pray, amen and amen. If you're in here and you've never received King Jesus, I'd love to pray with you. Come down here and see Matt and Christopher and I. We'd love to pray with you. If you're online, leave a comment. As you go, join us at the picnic and remember, he is over all and in all and leading you to life eternal. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.